Senate Joint Resolution 39 has become a captivating spectacle within the Missouri General Assembly, and the amendment's sponsor is making a case why it should be in Missouri's Constitution. Senator Bob Onder of Lake St. Louis joins us on another edition of Politically Speaking. Nine, eight, eight, seven, six, six five, five four, four, three, two, one. Uh, I think that is fair to say. As I say, hands to kiss and babies to shake. <laughs> but, uh, you know, I think my record speaks for itself. That's a really good question. Hello and welcome to the Politically Speaking Podcast. I'm your host, Jason Rosenbaum, a reporter with St. Louis Public Radio. Joining me in studios in St. Louis is... Colleague Joe Manis. And through the magic of radio, our guest in Jefferson City, Missouri, we have as our special guest today... Bob Onder. A state senator, a Republican from Lake St. Louis. Uh, his second time on the show, so we appreciate you coming back. Um, before we get into the issues, just remind our listeners what your district in St. Charles County encompasses. I represent the western half of St. Charles County. That's the second senatorial district. I myself live in Lake St. Louis, but basically some of St. Peter's, all of O'Fallon, Wentzville, Lake St. Louis, Defiance, New Melly, and so on, all the way out to Forestdale at the county line. And you are the only St. Charles County senator at the moment because after Tom Dempsey left the Senate, uh, the governor did not call a special election. That's so. correct. I'm now the senior senator from St. Charles <laughs> County, even though I am of the lowest seniority of any member in the Missouri Senate. What a, what an accomplishment. That's what an right. accomplishment. <laughs> so let's get straight into issues. Uh, we have a lot to talk about. Um, the, the thing that I think has captivated the Capitol over the last few weeks is SJR 39, a constitutional amendment that would legally shield businesses that refuse services to same-sex couples. It would also prevent any action being taken against any religious organization that refuses uh, same-sex marriages. Um, Joe, you want to explain a little bit more? Yeah, well, you're the ch one of the chief sponsors and one of the chief advocates, so we thought it would be really great to have you on, to have you talk a bit about it. Uh, there's been a lot of controversy on both sides. Um, how do you see the, the bill shaping out? This was a key issue at the Republican gubernatorial debate on Saturday night. Uh, one of the candidates has been taking a lot of hits on it. I'm just interested in your in your thoughts, how you interpret how this proposed amendment would work. So, yes, what SJR 39 would do is submit to the voters of the state of Missouri, either in August or November, the chance to protect their fellow Missourians, churches, pastors, religious organizations, and a certain narrow class of individuals, specifically small business people in the wedding industry who provide goods of creative or artistic expression, people actually being asked to, uh, to in a way, participate in a, um, a same-sex uh, wedding ceremony from being uh, penalized by government for their sincerely held religious beliefs about marriage. Now, where it is politically, um, on March 10th, after a thir historic 38-hour filibuster, the Missouri Senate, by a vote of 23 to 7, passed SJR 39 and sent it over to the House. Um, it's now in the House Emerging Issues Committee, where it uh, awaits a vote. Uh, I, I anticipate that that vote should happen uh, shortly, and I'm hope, hopeful that it will move on and um, eventually be passed by the full House. In a court of law, how would someone prove that they have a sincere religious <laughs> objection to same-sex marriage if they're a business? Because I could foresee a situation where 
a business person has no real religious affiliation but uses this as an excuse to deny services to same-sex couples if they don't like gay people, essentially. How would they be able to prove that in court? Well, again, I, I think we be, need to be clear that um, this isn't a, a, uh, a broad uh, excuse to deny services to same-sex couples. And also, let's be clear that in, in the great majority of jurisdictions in this state, um, sexual orientation and gender identity are not protected classes. So that that in, in most places in this State, um, uh, you know the uh, the 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 hypotheticals that some are warning about are perfectly legal and just aren't happening at all. But uh, but what it, w- the burden of proof would be on the person seeking to assert the defense, and they would have to uh, prove, for instance, that they had a uh, were the member of say a church that uh, that uh, taught that marriage was between one man and one woman, and therefore that is why they uh, were. Um, we're exerting that defense. But one thing to remember, Jason, is that in the cases around the country, whether in Oregon or Washington or elsewhere, uh, in 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 almost no cases were, was there actually a couple being denied service. What typically happened is uh, the couple, let's call them Bob and Jason, went to the first florist and said, you know, we're going to get married. Will you do our flowers? And the first florist said, sure, we will. What date and time? And they went to the second florist and were told the same. And same with the third and the fourth and the fifth. And they got to the 25th who had objections to participating in a same-sex ceremony. And they said to that uh, that 25th florist, we'll see you in court. So really, uh, we're, we're not talking about denial of service. We're talking about creating a religious uh, exemption, um, a religious um, protection against persecution based on one's sincerely held religious beliefs. Now, as, as you're aware, the Missouri Chamber and some other business groups have been saying that they're concerned about economic backlash that you've seen in some other states, while in some cases those the bills that were signed into law in those states weren't the same as what we're talking about here. But they're all seen as as uh, anti LGBT, anti gay rights. Um, I know, that from what I understand, that's been what has been slowing the progress in the House. I'm just interested in your take on this and how effective has that argument been, whether it's right or wrong. Well, yeah, Joe, I am very disappointed in the reaction of the of the chamber and some others in the business community, and I I really uh, don't like the characterization that the that businesses are are against my bill, but I would say some of the corporate elites are against my bill. You know, when my bill received its hearing in the Senate, not a single business group testified against my bill. The only testimony in opposition against SJR 39 in the Senate was the ACLU and PROMO. But then, uh, then uh, after it passed the Senate, uh, all these business groups came out of the woodwork. Now, I would point out that some of the um, there was a list of businesses that allegedly opposed SGR 39, and one of the House members came to me yesterday and said that he called some of these members that allegedly signed on in opposition to 
SJR 39. It turns out some of them had no idea uh, that their name was being used and that indeed they were not opposing SJR 39. But uh, I believe uh, th- uh, these this talk about uh, economic backlash is overblown. Um, you know, Houston repealed a gay rights ordinance in November, and there was talk about all the economic backlash that would happen. And uh, Houston is doing just fine. Indiana, despite all the blow up over their religious freedom restoration act bill last year had its best economic year in history now um uh, Indiana had a RIFRA. My bill is not a RIFRA, and it was carefully crafted to not be a RIFRA. RIFRAs are much more broad, and I could see why the LGBT community might be threatened by a broader law. Um, so, so I, I think some of the some of the economic concern is overblown. But I think the and and I would finally add that the one business group that did testify in the Senate hearing on my group was the business group representing the largest industry in the state of Missouri, the, uh, the, uh, the uh, Missouri Farm Bureau that represents um, 100,000 members, they testified in favor of my bill. So I don't think that economic and religious liberty and economic prosperity need to be at odds. And um, I, I think that, uh, that uh, in the long run, protecting religious liberty is not only good for freedom, but is good for business. So I wanted to play a clip now from one of your former House colleagues, Jeanette Mott Oxford, when you served in the House in, I think, 2006 to 2008. I think you served together. Correct. She's the executive director of Empower Missouri, and she's the first openly lesbian state legislator um, who has ever served in the Missouri House, I believe. And I thought that she made a a pretty important point here that I want to play and then uh, ask you about it. Certainly the focus for your wedding day is on your joy and you know what whether you're a same-sex couple or uh, a male female couple um, you're you're wanting to have a wonderful day that celebrates your love that invites your family and your friends in so the idea of hiring some type of a business person to work with you on that day that's going to be a, a pouty killjoy uh, who's going to be there reluctantly and and who's going to make a point of saying you know I I don't believe in people like you it's just not what you want your wedding day to be like there are a lot of businesses that would be glad to have same-sex couples work with them, and, and I think that the LGBT community, as other oppressed minority communities uh, do, make it a business, uh, uh, make, it, make it their uh, you know, priority to spend their dollars with those that support their cause. Now, I understand that there have been instances in other states where same-sex couples have sued businesses, as you mentioned. But I think that the point that uh, former Representative Oxford is trying to make is this isn't a situation that occurs very widely, where a, 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 a prospective couple goes into business, they're rejected, and then they sue. They would probably go to a business or gravitate toward a business that would want their business. And I think it brings up the question, if this really doesn't happen very often, does it really warrant amending Missouri's Constitution to prevent this hypothetical from occurring? What do you think of that uh, contention? Well, you know, listening to um, to the quote from Jeanette, um, I, uh, I, and, and I, I really do uh, do wish her, uh, Jeanette and her uh, partner all the all the happiness and joy in the world. Uh, she, uh, after the hearing, she showed me pictures of her uh, her, uh, her her wedding uh, album, uh, 
and it, and it was very touching. Um, and and Jeanette, Jeanette has become a, a friend over the years. And, and once in a while, Jeanette and I are this on the same side of some issues politically. Um, so honestly, Jeanette actually makes a case in favor of freedom, freedom of association. Um, as she said, an LGBT couple uh, generally is going to want um, uh, a, a, a wedding vendor, wedding vendors who uh, who want to who who do support, who do affirm the idea of same-sex marriage, and isn't that what our country and what our society is all about? About freedom and about pluralism. But it is an injustice when uh, when uh, radical activists seek out people who disagree, and then use the power of government to persecute them. And that is really what SJR 39 is about, because that is happening uh, in other states. And, um, and, and, and should Missouri, say, enact a, a statewide law like MONA, the Missouri Non-Discrimination Act, it is something that could happen statewide in Missouri. Now, what about in some states? I mean, forgetting uh, whether the laws are right or wrong, but just looking at the economic impact from, while they didn't sue anybody. They're just saying, our company's not going to expand here, or our company's not going to locate here. North Carolina's already running into that, where a couple uh, major uh, businesses that had been expected to locate there all of a sudden aren't. You've had some um, artists or musicians who've canceled concerts in North Carolina or elsewhere because of this. Um, I mean, they're not suing anybody, but they're using their economic power. Do you... I mean, is yep. that fair for them to do that? So, so Joe, good question, because you hear this asserted a lot. So, um, for instance, it is asserted that in uh, Indiana, $60,000, I'm sorry, $60 million of convention business is was lost. Now, where did that figure come from? Uh, that figure uh, came from the number of conventions, uh, convention uh, uh schedulers who said, quote, we're not going to come to your state because you are considering or you have passed a Religious Freedom Restoration Act. Now, that would be like me saying to the state of Massachusetts, because you have a Democrat governor, I'm not going to schedule a family vacation in Massachusetts. They have a Republican summer. governor, by the way. Oh, I'm now, sorry. But continue. You're right. You're right, just, Jason. Okay. Continue. Uh, uh, yeah, continue. The state of Illinois. Uh, uh, the state of Illinois. Uh, okay. In the state of Illinois, because you have a Republican governor. They have a Republican governor too. That's what I said. I, I changed my hypothetical. Because you okay. have, because you have a Republican governor, I'm not going to go to. Uh, I'm not going to vacation in Illinois next summer. Um, I have no plans on vacationing in Illinois next summer anyway. So it's very easy for me to assert that to make a political point. So so I think that $60 million is probably an illusory uh, figure. Um, but when you look at real, in Indiana, if you look at real job growth, real corporate relocations and expansions in 2016, and a number of tech companies piped in during the Indiana RIFRA debate, uh, and yet tech tech jobs had a, a one hundred fifty percent increase in growth over the previous year. So Indiana has had a record year despite all the RIFRA blow up last year. And when you look at real at the real economic uh, data, 
these econo- these political boycotts often don't work. And you got to remember, Arizona, for instance, has been under a boycott for a decade uh, over their immigration law, and uh, and yet Arizona is doing just fine. So these it, it, some of some corporate interests, uh, some other non-governmental interests do make a lot of noise when there is a politically correct cause that a state runs afoul of. But in the long run, um, they, I, I, don't, I think the, uh, the effects of these, uh, of these boycotts are exaggerated. One more question on this before we switch to another topic. Now, from my understanding from talking with, with, with a law professor from Washington University, the reason there was a lawsuit, for example, in Oregon over this is because Oregon has a statewide law that bans discrimination against LGBT uh, individuals, um, you know, similar to what you just said about Mona. And my question is, I mean, that was most likely enacted by a, a legislature elected by, a, by the people and signed into law by a governor that's elected by the people. So wasn't that situation in Oregon or any other state kind of a result of the legislative process going to fruition and, and the people's will, so to speak. And the fact that that hasn't happened in Missouri, but it may, if it does happen, it, it, it happened because, you know, the people through their elected representatives wanted that result to occur. What, what do you what do you make of that argumentation? Well, well, a couple of a couple of points there. One is um, the answer to that question. Uh, the uh, the, the um that is part of the answer to why we are putting this in the Constitution as opposed to statute, because uh, civil civil rights, civil liberties, including freedom of religion, have to be uh, protected in the Constitution so that they are not subject to the whims and the will of the majority on any given day, on every, any given year. But I would say that even though Missouri does not have a statewide gay rights law, 14 municipalities or political subdivisions, counties and municipalities, do have these uh, so-called SOGI, um, sexual orientation, gender identity uh, laws that can be used similarly to the uh, the Oregon or, or Washington uh, laws uh, potentially to persecute those of religious belief so um, so yeah we, we, we the, this this is uh, necessary now and it would be even more necessary the other thing I would point out to uh, those who do support Mona uh, because Mona is about a lot more than uh, wedding vendors certainly it's about ho- employment and housing discrimination. If we passed SJR 39, it would be easier to get Mona passed because SJR 39 would provide a religious exception uh, to uh, to Mona and and therefore would make Mona less threatening. Now there might still be other objections to Mona, such as creating a new protected class that could give rise to litigation. Um, but really, uh, but really the. Um, the SGR 39 is about creating a religious exemption to some of these um, these uh, gay rights ordinances and statutes. In, in the last five minutes that we have, we're going to do kind of a lightning round where sure. I ask a question and Joe asks a question, then we'll let you get back to the Senate. Right. You've, you've handled a lot of ethics-related bills, yes. including a lobbyist gift ban right. and a revolving door bill that it passed through the House and then ran into a lot of opposition in the Senate to the point where these bills were changed pretty dramatically. My question is, were you surprised that these particular proposals ran into a lot of opposition from your fellow senators? And 
even if these, I guess, I guess the revolving door ban got winnowed down to six months, and the lobbyist gift ban is like forty dollars per instance, as opposed to a total ban. Uh, are those really like results that are are worth celebrating about? So, kind of two part question: Were you surprised by the opposition, and are you happy with the results? Well, yeah, good question. Um, first of all, uh, yeah, I'm a little surprised about the opposition. I, I, I'm, uh, I think that uh, that. Ethics bills, in one sense, are a no-brainer. Thirty-five uh, states uh, have some sort of uh, of a uh, revolving door or prohibition on uh, directly going from legislating to lobbying. Of uh, fourteen states that have um, that have uh, term limits, twelve have cooling-off periods where legislators have to sit out before they can become lobbyists. Uh, but I am, though, happy, Jason, with the outcome. So I myself filed a uh, cooling off period, a revolving door uh, period bill that would have had a two-year period. Uh, the House uh, bill that came to the Senate had a one-year period. It came out of the Senate with with no period at all, but had required that one serve out one's whole term, which if one resigned early in a Senate term could result in having to wait three or four years to lobby. We compromised at six months. So a senator would have to uh, serve out one's whole, one, uh, his whole Senate term, a House member, his whole House term, and then wait six months, which would be a whole legislative session before lobbying. So overall, I think it's not quite what I would have wanted, but I'm pretty happy with the result. I'm very happy we're sending that uh, to the uh, governor's desk. The other two things we're sending to the governor's desk are a um, prohibition on legislators acting as paid political consultants. I think the public, uh, you know, probably scratches their head at that one and says legislators are actually doing that. It's amazing. I just got (laughs) to chime in. This was something that was talked about eight years ago. I know that you're personally uh, familiar with it because it became an issue in your congressional race, but I'm surprised it took eight years for this to to occur. I'm sure you're surprised as well. I I am. I am too. You know, as you know, in my case, uh, it was someone who was uh, I only felt comfortable with it because the person in question was on his way out of the legislature and was, you know, pretty much a lame duck and his his time in the legislature was over. But uh, but, you know, when people pointed out, I, I said, yeah, this is this is an issue. And I learned from that. And yeah, eight years later, uh, it, it was uh, it, it was not completely um, trouble-free to get across the line, but we did get it across the line, and I think it's a good piece of legislation. So overall, we got three good, um, and the third piece was uh, was uh, the idea of um, lo- pe- legislators having to dissolve their campaign accounts uh, when they become lobbyists. I think all three of those are, are, are good government ethics reform legislation. Um, the process was not as smooth as I might have anticipated, but at the end, I think we got some very good bills done. Okay, I have two questions. First, photo ID. Do you think it's going to come up in the final three weeks? I think it will, Joe. And do you think it'll pass? I think it will. So then, it, and so our listeners will know that that means it, like SJR thirty nine, would it, it it would be put on the ballot, correct? Uh, yes, that's that's right. I think it. I think to do photo ID, um, it has to be put on the ballot, and it also requires enabling legislation passed by the legislature. Now, um, you're an active Republican, and for our listeners, this weekend on Saturday will be the congressional caucuses in each of the eight congressional districts in the state. That's yes. where a large a large number of presidential delegates will be selected. Yes. And although Trump carried the state, there um, has been 
the cruise camp has been successful in some other states of getting some of their people elected as Trump delegates who will then switch after the first ballot. I'm just curious in your take on what you think may be happening, because um, I figure that you're going to be involved in one of these on Saturday. Sure, sure. I think, yeah, there's a lot of misunderstanding about this process. And, um, and, and you know, but I was involved in the 2012 uh, caucuses. I was I was a, uh, a I, I was a supporter of Rick Santorum, and then eventually became a, a Mitt Romney supporter. But in 2012, I was involved in caucuses uh, in St. Charles County that the uh, Ron Paul people uh, came to and uh, elected the majority of uh, of delegates. And what that meant is that um, is that those delegates ultimately. Uh, although they would be bound on the first round of balloting at the national convention to vote uh, for Rick Santorum, who won the uh, Missouri primary, um, I, although that was a non-binding primary, so that's not a good example. Ultimately, if if Mitt Romney had not received the majority of delegates, they would be unbound in subsequent rounds. Well, that's how it'll work this year. So um, the the delegates ele- the delegates elected. Uh, on the, at the congressional level on Saturday and then at the state convention who go to Cleveland will be bound to the winner of their congressional district or the winner statewide on the first round. That of, In most cases, that is Donald Trump. I think uh, Ted Cruz won a couple of congressional districts. Um, and, and after that, if Donald Trump does not get 1,237 delegates, uh, the rules are that subsequently delegates are unbound uh, on subsequent ballots, and that's what we refer to as an open or contested convention. Now, will you be running to be a delegate? I will be. For who? So I am. Uh, I am on. Uh, was elected as part of the Cour- Courageous Conservatives slate out of uh, St. Charles County, and uh, it was uh, a, a coalition of, of various folks. But uh, but I personally um, endorsed Ted Cruz. Oh, well over a month ago. I would say two months ago. Yeah, and this will only be an issue if Donald Trump does not get all the delegates he needs on the first ballot. And if he does, it's a moot point. If he doesn't. We're going to have a lot of fun in Cleveland, including you potentially if you're chosen as a delegate. So, will you be a Trump delegate initially? So, on the first round, you know, if I am chosen on Saturday to go to Cleveland on the first round, I'll be voting for Donald Trump. You got to remember, remember, remember Seward's folly. William Seward uh, had the plurality of delegates going into, I believe it was the 1860 uh, Republican presidential convention, and on the second ballot, uh, he failed to get a get a plur- uh, a majority, and on the third ballot, a, another candidate named Abraham Lincoln got a uh, majority and uh, went on to become our president. So, so uh, Republicans have uh, chosen the person, uh, chosen some, uh, chosen uh, their candidate in an open convention, I believe six times since then, and Democrats two or three times. So this, even though we haven't done it really in recent history, the closest was 76 when, uh, you know, G- uh, Gerald Ford went into the convention without a majority of delegates. Um, it, it isn't, it isn't unheard of and the rules are pretty well established and just a parting thought before you head out um actually there was a missourian who was involved in a very similar situation like this in 1912 champ clark who was the speaker of the missouri house had a majority of delegates going into that convention 
Unfortunately, the dastardly Woodrow Wilson managed to outflank him, even though he had a majority of delegates, and Champ Clark did not become president of the United States. So just to kind of buttress your point, it is not unheard of for somebody to come in with a convention with the majority of delegates and then not become the nominee on both parties. There we go. We could have had President Seward and President Clark. Yeah, and I'm sure that my good friends uh, Ellie Glenn and Jay Scherter would have been thrilled that somebody from Pike County became president of the United States. But that's for another day. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank Uh, you, Joe. Thank you, Jason. Great to be on. And uh, uh, you can listen to all our stories at stlpublicradio.org. I'm on Twitter at Jay Rosenbaum. You're on Twitter at Jay Manis. That's J M A N N I E S. And you can be followed at Bob Onder Mo. Is that correct? That's correct. All right. Thank you very Thank much. You. Until next time, so long. Came true for me.